mean, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. Do anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop-in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Much to talk about on this week's episode of the Powell at the Park podcast, episode number 20. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Kevin Powell. On this week's episode... James Fegan from The Athletic. He and I react to Michael Kopech's debut with the White Sox. Always love talking to James. And Tony Andracu, I believe this is like his fourth or fifth appearance on the podcast. But I just love talking Cubs with Tony. So I always kind of revert to Tony when I want to have a good, uh, lengthy conversation about all things Cubs. He's from NBC Sports Chicago. Fegan from The Athletic. And I also had one of our production guys here at WGN who's been around the radio world in Chicago now for, I think, two decades, something like that. So he, he is a production whiz. And actually, that intro you just heard, the Welcome to the Powell at the Park podcast. That was uh, produced by Ernie Scanton, and that's his voice on that. He also he's he's done all sorts of stuff. The guy's a whiz, and, and that's actually how we start the episode this week on the rundown. I'll talk to Ernie Scanton about his production career and his life in the radio world. Well, every week I start uh, the podcast, the episode with the rundown. I came up with this segment. It's just normally my ramblings about all sorts of different things, Cubs and White Sox and baseball-related. Sometimes I go into food rants. Um, I think I even did some golf talk once. But this week I want to do something different. Every every episode you hear that open, which is the Powell at the Park. Since he's next to me, why don't you do it? <laughs> Powell at the Park. That's the voice of Ernie Scanton, who is a production whiz here at WGN, and he helped me. I still owe you like a burger and a beer for this, Ernie. I've been promising you that for like a year now. I can eat a burger. I can always take a burger. <laughs> That's Ernie Scanton. He's the one of the production guys here at WGN. Um, it's a kick-ass open that you you uh, you did for me, Ernie. I owe you big for that. I love it. Uh, you have the production skills, which are amazing. You have the voice. So recently, I thought of this because Sports Central is what uh, Adam Hogan, Mark Carmen do like once a week. It comes up on the web. It's just a podcast about other things. But you put together this awesome open for them on Sports Central. Um, first of all, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Appreciate it. I don't get to do this often, so it's uh, it's pretty cool. You should be on more often because listen to those pipes, man. I mean, it's, oh, I thank you. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, well, let's talk about the world of production. How did you get into this whole thing? Is this how long have you been doing radio production? Because you've been here for a while. You were at ESPN for a while as well. Is I was at correct? ESPN almost ten. I was at the Score for a few years. Back to ESPN to hear when we did eighty-seven-seven the game. WVON, back to here. I've done stuff on the side. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years doing this. So how did you get into radio and production and things like that? It's funny. It's um, I was driving down the road and I heard Mike North spewing some yeah. hate-filled <laughs> Nonsense, rhetoric. Nonsense, yeah. Yeah, and I just, I was like, I can do this better. I can do this. And the first commercial was, if you want to be on the radio, go to Illinois Center for Broadcasting. I was like, <laughs> yeah! Yeah! My wife's been bugging me! Yeah! And I literally went to that place that night and I signed up and 
20 years Is that later, right? I promise you. It just, yeah. The point of that story is advertising on radio works. It, it does. I guess it does. Um, my wife <laughs> If anybody's listening and yeah. has been wondering, yeah. yeah. So you should come in and let me voice your spot. Damn right. advertise on the radio and then people will come. Exactly. But it, it's true. My wife had been bugging me to go back to school. And I, I had a pretty good job. I was running a medical warehouse. But oh, she wow. was like, you should, you want to do more. You should do more. So I I did. And, and you ask how I got into, I wanted to be on air at first. So obviously you go and everyone wants to be on air. But the minute I sat behind a computer and I started doing this, it was amazing to me. It was absolutely amazing that I could take all this creativity in my yeah. head and put it down here and people could hear it, laugh and joke and have fun. And that's why I never thought about going on air again. Well, that's what I love about yourself and Chris Duffy, who does imaging and production here as well, is you guys... Like, get how radio should sound. It should sound fun. Sometimes it's serious, but it should always be creative and different and should catch the right. listener's ear. You know what I mean? Like, right. everything you guys do, whether it's Duffy or you, whether it's serious or funny or goofy or wacky, it it catches the listener's ear. Right. And that's the whole point of radio is catch the ear, keep them listening. And you guys do that, whether it's, whether it's through bits that we have you guys produce or whether it's simply a commercial uh, or whether it's a kick-ass Intro like you did for for my pod or for for Sports Central. Right, I think well any any production guy I'll tell you it's it's it, we love to do it. I haven't I've never found a production guy that didn't love his job more than anything else. It's it's just it's a way for us to get creativity out that you couldn't do in another. Like I can do things and I make stuff and I giggle because I hear something in it that I did that nobody else knows. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. But, but like I, it, even on a smaller scale, when I was producing for Cochrane, that was one of my favorite parts. Is when I would build little like intros yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, but the, the thing with the the production, I found when I was producing that because as a producer, your mind like never stops. You have to be right. dialed into the show and et cetera, et cetera. And, and really, if you work in radio, the same way. But when you're thinking about production elements, you may be watching like TV with a group of people casually. And like ninety percent of the room is just zoned out, but you're like, wait a minute, what was that? And you catches yes. your ear, and whatever it may have been, what it was a weird sound from a commercial. It was a yep. funny thing a news anchor said. You put it in the memory bank, and the next day you're like, let's go to work. Let's, let's pull you that. Are, let's mix it in. Let's have fun with it. Let's throw so some right. music in. So. I, I, when I watch movies at home, especially, I watch with a pad and a paper, and I take times and stuff. And my daughter's always like, what are you doing? I'm going to steal that. Right. <laughs> I'm going right. to use that. Songs I hear, beats I hear. And, and it's the funniest thing. Like, I I'm a hip hop guy to my uh, to my soul. This is not a hip hoppy station. This is not a WGN. No, no, we're not walking around. <laughs> so the best thing is when I can still incorporate what I love into this station, right. and it, it it's a little harder. But I still do it, and I do it a lot. You'll hear some beat behind some. You're like, oh, all right, okay. And then, but then you hear like John Williams speaking, and you're like. But that works, and it, yeah. it does kind of work. So right. that, that's, that's how you that's deliver fun. it. Yeah. Do you have your own um, audio bank of drops and music? Oh my God. And thi- like Thousands. how how extensive is Thousands. that? Thousands. Thou- I have them on different. I have one here. I have one here that um, I'll show you. I, I know you guys out there can't see it, but I have one that has movies, TV shows, any sort of drop like that. You'd be surprised. And at home, I have hard drives filled with stuff, just absolutely filled with stuff that you just you never know. And sound effects too. I like sound effects and drops as I try and find my thing without stop talking here we go <laughs> so like yeah if you go into this like you'll see movies these are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Holy drops hell. of stuff that you know like it's just there it's it's it, oh snap you know it's just stuff that you can play at any time and you know i love them but 
I don't know. It's, it, crazy. it's a good time. It's a good time. It's fun. Um, okay, so let's play, if you don't mind. Um, I think I told you we play the one that people have already heard. So if they're listening to this, they already heard the open. But we'll play that in a second. But can we play the Sports Central one? I Do you have can. that queued up? Okay, this is this is the intro that Ernie made for Adam Hogue and Mark Carmen for our Sports Central show. Sports Central. Blackhawk fans around the world, you've endured 49 years of frustration. Continue this love fest. Chicago Sports Conversation. Ow! With Adam Hogue and Mark Carmel. Holy Moses! Sports Central. All right, so Ernie, that gets me jacked up. That gets me pumped up. When That's you, the object. That's when, the idea. Like, that makes me want to keep listening. So when you built that and you started from scratch, I'm sure Adam and Mark went to you and just said, hey, can you build this a fresh Generally how it is. They okay. say, we need an open. So I, 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 I always ask, what do you want an open? First thing I thought, what do you want to open? And you guys will give me, like, I want this, I want this. And then some people go way overboard. And you know you can't do all of that. Right. Open should probably be 30, 45 seconds. You don't need two, three minutes in an open just because you get bored. Yeah. I want you to get excited and be ready for that show and be like, yeah! And that's that's right. kind of what it is. And, right. and I started that out with, like, they gave me no... No sort of Blank guidance. Slate. They just said, here, I want, you know, it's me and Mark Carmen now. So I was like, okay. I listened to the old one that Duff did, and I kind of just took his little words, and then I started thinking about what's going to get somebody jacked up to listen to this. And they cover all sports, not just one. So then I started thinking about, oh, championships. Oh. And if you notice, it's the first championship of the Bears, the Bulls, the White Sox in a long time, the Cubs, and and the, it's all their first ones that happened in the last, like, 10, 20 years. And I just grabbed it. Oh, and then, then I threw that little radio so it sounds like they're in this old <laughs> and you just get progressively jacked up until yeah. you know the White Sox win, 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 win. Well, you and I were listening to it. And we're like throwing our fists in the air. Yeah, like, I'm this ready is to awesome. go, and that's yeah. that's what it should be. You should be jacked when that thing opens. I want the host to be like, "Welcome in the Sports Center." Eh? Like, yeah, right. They're jacked because if you don't have a happy, good host, a jacked up host, you have a boring garbage. I'm show. with you, man. You have gotta, fun. Yeah, you want to have fun, and then the people get jacked up. They hear it and. You should see me. Like when I'm done, I'll listen to an open like four or five times. Like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, great. Proud of your work. You do. You get proud of yeah. it because you know it sounds good. And so, how long does something like that take you to make? From start to finish, like when you start to let the the, the, the wheels go a little bit, about an hour, hour yeah. and a half ish, ninety minutes, something like that. Just because you gotta, you have to go and find everything. Finding I like to grab piecing, everything. Yeah, yeah you have right. to go find the open. You have to find. And being in a radio station, it was easy in a sports station because I just literally went into the stuff and grabbed things. Yeah. Here, I have to go find it. I have to search because it's such a online. wide range it of is. things we talk about. It With is. sports, it's very centralized. It you know what it's going to be, and you always keep the you always keep the good highlights. I literally, I keep every highlight, everything that I do, I keep. So that's awesome. I have it somewhere, but it's about an hour, 90 minutes. But it's fun. It doesn't seem like it to me. I sit there, and I do it at home. My kids will be wandering around. I have headphones on. I don't even think about it. And then I'm done. I look up. I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe her, my daughter's boyfriend has left or someone's left. I, I get so totally focused in. I don't think about anybody else. My wife will be hitting me. It's like, stop. We're working. <laughs> we're so, right. do, you have, um, do you have a piece of production 
through your entire career that you're most proud of? Whatever I do, I what, do. What I, it's funny. Um, my and this this happened my first year in radio. So I, I get out of school and I'm at WG uh, at ESPN, and there's this board game. It's called. It's made by a company called Catico, and um, it's from when it's from like the fifties, the sixties, and it was a baseball board game that kids played. So they would literally roll dice and then move their players and, and play the board game. So we had the idea to have the all t- the all time White Sox play the all time NFL or all time Major League Baseball stars on a Catico game. So we had. Bill Melton and um, God, what was his name? He just died. Uh, uh, the New York Sorry. Yankee, the New York Yankee to play for the White Sox. Um, God, I can't remember uh, his name. Yeah. You know who I mean? He ran the bases backwards. He was one coach. <laughs> Bill Melton was the other coach. Then we actually drew names of all these players. It was like Babe Ruth, and it was it was basically almost like the All Star Yankees against the All Star White Sox. That's what it kind of came down to. And they literally played a game. And wrote down what happened. So they would roll the dice and say Harold Baines hit a triple scoring Frank Thomas. Then, in between a, um, in between a doubleheader, I had John Rooney and Ed Farmer actually call the game. That's awesome. So they call the game in between a doubleheader and they do the whole nine innings. We played nine innings and it was, uh, I'm sitting in my studio listening to them down the line like, oh my God! And they're, and then he has the ball and it's right back gone! <laughs> so then I took that call, ran it through a filter to make it an old time filter like with crackles in it yeah. and make it an old time game and I made a baseball game. I literally, from every call, like, peanuts, popcorn, get your popcorn, peanuts. I was every other voice in there except the calls. So I was like, I was like, get your peanuts here. And like, I, I made it, I, I made an actual game. I won an award for it. And it was like my first year and it was unbelievable. It took me like a month. I was going to say, that's, that's every, a lot I did of every inning. Every, I did, we did the pregame. We did the commercials. So like I went and got all these old time commercials like Walgreens, put them in. And so everything was done. It was a complete baseball game from top to bottom. And How it was long was on, it? It was, the whole game lasted about an hour, hour and a half. Did you guys play it all We played back? it on the air. We played it on the air. And, it, and literally, I finished it I finished inning nine as they were in inning three. Like, that's how long it took. Like, I, because I had to put together everything. I'm like, just leave me alone. I'm going to get it done. I swear to God. Right. And they're like taking things and I'm shoving. I'm like, okay, you got inning seven. You got inning eight. You got to bring it. And like, I'm just throwing stuff to them and they finally wow. played it. And when I walked out of the studio, there were people in the hallway like clapping for me. And I was like, oh, like my first year. I thought it was, like, doesn't everyone do this? <laughs> like, they're like, no, Ernie, that's amazing. And they sent it off and it won an award or something. That's my. Favorite piece of production. I gotta hear this. I actually have it. I'll, I'll grab it. I'll grab it. It's, Bring it's, it in this this week or something. I'm, I'm, I was actually pretty proud of it because it was funny. As you, here's the thing. As you keep going, you start thinking of things that you should be hearing, and you're like, oh, popcorn, get your popcorn, popcorn, peanuts, big head, big head, and you just like make it up. Yeah. You start thinking, you try and find it, and you're like. Forget it. I'm it's just the beauty of radio, right there, is, right? You can great. enter an entire baseball game by the power of production, <laughs> and I did, and it, and it, it played well. It, and it was just pretty cool to have like Bill Melton and and these guys making the calls, and, and they it was funny. And I we had interviews in the, in the middle, like they interviewed Pee Wee Reese. Yeah, so we got somebody who was like, "Hey, Pee Wee, so how was it like playing with Jackie Robinson the first time?" <laughs> well, you know, Jackie was a wonderful guy, and <laughs> right. it was it, so it was just super cool. It was, and that's dang, that's awesome. Do you have a favorite host or? Uh, yeah, favorite you, host. Dude, come on, KP. Of all your years. that No, like your favorite host that either one that you liked listening to, whether you even worked with them or not, just a favorite host that you listened to, and two, favorite host that you have worked with. Favorite one I worked with was probably Yurko. Like, yeah. I, I just love Yurko. And Harry Tyne was too. I love Harry. Yeah. I, I can be honest, there's not many that I disliked working with, and, and 
dislikes tough. Like maybe I didn't like their character, the way they did certain things. I, I see. I found in this market because it is the top, one of the top markets. You don't. I think everyone realizes. I don't think there's as much ego as people think. Like I think for the most part, you've people at this level, you've like what? Why would you have an ego? Like yeah. you've made it. You you've know, kind of I mean? made it. I, right. I, I've never had really nothing but good experiences with like major market. Of right. course, there's going to be a handful there's, out there. There's but people that for have, the most part, like I were I started in the smaller markets, and there's like weird jealousy because people are like pissed that they're in the really the, the market two hundred and not in market three. So and is there a lot of backstabbing? People not, trying not to like get you? that, but like it was just it's just a different atmosphere when you get up here because people. Really Realize how, how lucky you are to be here. It's the majors, so. like you, you're but done everybody with knows that. No matter what, no matter right. how long, how great you are at this whole radio thing, whether you've right. been doing it for twenty years, everyone like I talk to people here at GN, they're all like, "We can't believe we're doing this." This it stuff, is, it, it, you know, for me, I remember going through the, oh, you're, you're never going to make it in Chicago. Yeah. I've actually never left Chicago. I got, yeah. the, don't get me wrong, I got lucky. I worked my way through, but I had a family. There was no question I was, I wasn't leaving Chicago. Like right. I had kids and a wife and a house, and this was like a second job type thing I was trying to make work. And uh, thankfully, through hard work, I, it did work, but I never left Chicago. I got lucky. You know, people are like, what, what did you do? I just talked. <laughs> Bounce around, be lucky. Yeah. I, I'm a likable, I'm an work affable hard. person. I work. Everybody I, likes I, Ernie. I work my butt off. I don't. That's yeah. one thing I don't shirk. I work very hard. I if I made a mistake, I, I you can yell at me. Whatever, I won't do it again. Hopefully, um, I'll do whatever you want me to do. There's not. I mean, there's nothing here I won't do for somebody. Right. You need me to sweep the bathroom? I'll sweep the bathroom. Whatever. I'm with you, man. I enjoy. I love what I do, yeah. and I love the fact that I get to go watch sports and do whatever. I mean, my 10 years at ESPN, dude. I saw the White Sox win the World Series. I was in the locker room. I almost went to Houston. Like I've seen, I, I I for one year I had the Bulls pass, and I would just I would walk into the locker room. I'd say what's up to Duhan. We're probably going to get a beer later. Sorry, Chris. Uh, and and <laughs> at Ben Gore and I'd be like, hey, what's up, fellas? And I knew all of them. And That's then awesome. I'd walk out and I'd walk across the corner of the court and go and sit in the bar or whatever because I didn't really have a seat. I had a press pass. And so one day the security guard who knew me is like, Ernie, why do you do that? I was like. Because I can't. Right. <laughs> Why not? Because I was I just can. in the Bulls yes, locker room. Because I can't. Yeah. And finally, at the end, Sabrina Brewster caught me like the last thing game. She's like, "What do you do here?" <laughs> I was like, "I'm the producer I'm for producing. ESPN." She's like, "No, you, you don't. keeping an eye on the boys. You <laughs> know, like, I got to keep my pa- the pulse of the team. What I got to do here?" <laughs> she told me, "She's like, no, you don't. Just stay out of the way." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so that was like the solely greatest year of my life was going to every Bulls game. And and me growing up, I just wanted to be around sports. Yeah. You know, I thought I was a great athlete. It's decent, but I get to stay around. I did get to stay around until now. But I, I love WGN. I love you guys. I love the ESPN, but the familial aspect here, the family, just the way everyone gets along, yeah. it's, it's, it's not cutthroat. It's we all help each other. We all right. pull in the same direction. We all... It's it's a great place. I love it. Great place to work, and uh, you make it even better. And oh, thanks for coming thank on the podcast. You. Thank you, man. sir. I don't do this all, but I appreciate it. Let me best. know what other production you need. I that, got you. That's Ernie Scatton. He's a production whiz. What would be your official title here? Production guy? I just go I production man or production man. Chris would can be considered more the production guy. I'd be considered commercial slash engineer because you know I go out and I do shows. That's true. Right, so I'm half. I'm yeah, if you ever engineer, see a GN uh, out on the out on the uh, at restaurants and bars and sporting events, Ernie's out there every once in a while. Yeah. Me and so, uh, me and Adam Phillips do yeah. most of them, and so now I'm starting to get that a lot more. They send me, which is cool. It was hard yeah. to learn it, but I find, think I finally got it down. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. have to call in this week and say, "Hey, how do you do this? Right. What does this button yeah. do?" But it, it's um. So I, I would say commercial director on one side and engineer on another. I'll call you production whiz and all around great guy. How about that? Oh, that you're, you're, you're the best. That's Ernie Scanton. He's the man. Thank you for jumping on the podcast. I appreciate it. 
Thank you to Ernie. That was awesome. The guy is super talented. Ernie Scanton, uh, he does uh, a ton of great work here at WGN, and I'm very appreciative of uh, him doing some production stuff for this podcast as well. So thanks to Ernie. All right, next guest on the podcast, James Fegan from The Athletic. He and I talked uh, all things White Sox, specifically Michael Kopech's Major League debut. We're now joined by James Fegan from The Athletic. He covers the White Sox. He covers them well. He knows the White Sox just about as well as uh, anybody on the beat. And uh, appreciate you jumping on the podcast, James. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for having me. You know, the uh, 2019 schedule for the White Sox was just released, so I figured we would take the next 45 minutes and do a game-by-game prediction for next year. Are you, are you in on that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it seemed kind of random. I wasn't anticipating a 2019 schedule release today, but um, I guess when it's ready, it's ready. So they sent it out. But uh, I wanted to talk to you, of course, to get your your reaction, your thoughts on Michael Kopech. Uh The floor is yours. What did you see last night? Uh, I think you saw all the stuff, pretty much. I mean, I think people maybe got hyped to the idea that he was going to throw 100, but he's been kind of sitting in that kind of lower band for the sake of control for a few months now greatly to his benefit uh, as you can see from his uh, charlotte numbers you know he actually sat mostly 96 98 and he used it on the upper level of the zone with the uh, kind of using a lot of the carry and the run action that he has up there as pretty much where all three of his strikeouts were in the second inning he threw what i have to imagine is one of the greatest changes of his changes of his life to robbie grossman that just looked you know, if he, that's something he has on a consistent basis, that he's going to be awesome. And, you know, you saw him use both a slider and curveball very comfortably. So, you know, it was brief. And, you know, I, he had an insane number of foul balls. He could probably – some guys would get through two innings on 16 pitches. Kopech had 16 pitches fouled off. So that kind of ran up his pitch count. Right. But as far as seeing the stuff and seeing everything that people – would be raving about or, or the reason that you would come out to the park to see this guy it was on display albeit for about half hour uh, last night yeah i'm glad you brought up the fact that he was still kind of sticking around 96 97 98 because we've heard from Kopech over the past month or so what's been working for him down in triple a and we talked to steve mccaddy the triple a pitching coach the other day as well and they both said that he's finally found a way to dial it back a little bit and not throw it 100 miles per hour i, I think i was impressed maybe most impressed by that because man the adrenaline's got to be pumping there to have that discipline and command to keep it dialed back and keep doing what what's been working for you instead of going out there and trying to throw 100 to see him be able to kind of command himself and have that uh, the discipline on the mound to stick with what's been working for him I thought that was pretty impressive I mean yeah because it's it's not as simple as just throw it softer or guide it in because he has naturally a power delivery and you can throw off your entire mechanics just trying to like you know groove something in that he's not trying to do that so to be able to kind of find a balance and rhythm where he's still generating all the power in his legs that he naturally has when he's at his best with delivery and kind of pair it back just a touch to give him a little bit more control you know that's that's something that takes a few months uh you know preferably in triple a away from pride eyes uh to, to get going and he really has done it yeah, you mentioned that changeup too, and I thought uh, you mentioned it's probably one of the best changeups of his life. That's also impressive considering the stage, considering it's his first um, game in the major leagues. We've heard about the changeup all year, and he's kind of changed the mechanics on it a little bit, but that was really good to see. But it was it was a heavy dose of fastballs, and I was I was wondering if your thoughts on that because you know after the game we asked him about that, and he he said, "Look, I'm going to throw the fastball until." 
they start hitting it. So it tells you the kind of confidence he has in that pitch. Uh, but then to go see him throw that change up, which has basically been in development all season, um, I, I thought that was a, a nice showing from him as well. You know, that, that's definitely going to be something I'm, I'm watching closely over these last couple of weeks is, you know, his fastball is elite. It's absolutely amazing. It's, you know, top-of-the-scale grade fastball and just was completely overwhelming in AAA. And, you know, even his entire trek to the minors, you kind of had to force the development of other pitches because if he wanted to just concern himself with getting out in AA and AAA, he could throw that fastball over 75% of the time. Talking to the Minnesota side last night, they really scouted him knowing that he was going to do that, and they were really prepared for that, and they were trying to basically – the challenge for them was to get on top of it. And, you know, they weren't able to do it much. Who knows how it would have gone later on in the game, but the book will definitely be out for him uh, across the league. And, you know, it may be, just be that his fastball is just so elite, it's going to overpower guys, but I'm very curious to see if it forces an adjustment of his approach a little bit as time goes on. I mean, it's not like he's got – flops that he's uh, turned into with his secondary pitches, so it's not a major problem, but it could be an adjustment in his approach to, to be a little bit more breaking ball and, and ideally change-up heavy because there'll be less stress uh, on his delivery to, to kind of throw out of the change-up slot. Yeah, you know, it was just two innings, as, as we said, but it, it, you could feel the energy with the crowd, and, and what, looking over at the Sox bullpen when I got there, it was five, six, seven, eight rows deep of White Sox fans just all huddled around the bullpen watching the guy warm up. And and I know you were there last year for Mokata, and there was a lot of energy in the park, but last night just felt a little different, and... I don't know uh, what you make of that, if it's just because he's the pitcher and he's got so much hype, but I, I just thought it was a really cool night, albeit a short one for, for Kopech. You could feel the energy and excitement uh, from the crowd. I mean, it's crazy. I can't imagine doing that at your work where people are ooing and eyeing like every warm-up pitch. <laughs> right. that, that just seems insane. And, and you know, Some of it is just that you know a pitcher's debut, he gets center stage much more than Mankata does standing out at second base. And getting you know four plate appearances does, and I think that's part of it. But as I wrote yesterday, it Kopech's a guy who, you know, he was a live arm when they acquired him, but he's probably more than anyone that the White Sox have, have debuted a prospect who's really his star rose in the system, and the fans have gotten to see him develop and you know add so many tools to his game and mature in such a way, even just over a brief two years. But he, he probably feels a lot more of their own and not just, you know, a, a trade piece uh, than maybe some of the other prospects that they debuted. I think it's fun for Sox fans to daydream about a potential Michael Kopech, Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease top three of your rotation, and then who knows with Ronaldo and Lucas what they become. That's starting to look like a serious... Um, a seriously deep rotation, potentially. I know that's sort of a stretch, and we still got a long way to go here. But uh, even if it's not all five of those guys, and you have some sort of free agent signing, things are starting to kind of fall in place for the for the starting pitchers for the Sox organization. You got Dane Dunning. You got uh, you got a lot of guys who could fill on the back of rotation, like Spencer Adams, Fernando Flores, Jimmy Lambert had a great year. I could go on for the next half hour. Kate McClure looked good before he got hurt. How far he thought me to go? Right. No, it, it's it's looking good. That, that's why I've sort of been – that's why I like the Madrigal pick, and I think they should stick on, on the offensive side of things in the draft next year as well. Um, curious as to how you think they should approach the, the amateur side of things. Do you think they should just stick with the position side, considering they've got a pretty good stock of talent on the pitching side of things? I wouldn't really get specific on one side or the other. I mean – 
you know, you can draft a high school pitcher next year with the idea that when Carlos Rodon is hitting free agency, he's going to be, what, 22-23, and he's kind of the next stage of your rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're definitely always, uh, you know, stacking ways of talent, even if you have a kind of a strong point in the major league side right now. I mean, you wouldn't hold off on, uh, you know, drafting the first baseman because you have Jose Abreu in the majors or anything like that. Right. So, I, I, and obviously all those are – whoever you get as long as they're good they're effectively currency as far as trades or, or, or trading guys in the major league level to make room for you know talented replacements you know you can do so much of it that you don't really need to restrict yourself in one way you can always just be pretty flexible for what you think is the best talent i want to touch on yo moncada for a minute uh, James, um, there seems to be a bit of a panic creeping in for White Sox Nation because the strikeouts are obviously glaring. He isn't having a great year, but uh, I continue to tell Sox fans, and, and look, we've seen this forever in sports, and particularly in baseball, because we follow prospects from a very young age, and they're hyped so much, more than any other sport, so if they get off to a slow start, people panic. And I said, look, look you shouldn't you shouldn't go in, you shouldn't overreact in either direction. If you own Mokata for the final month of the season tears it up out there. I don't think we should anoint him as superstar, but if he goes through these struggles right now, we also shouldn't call him a bust. He's still very young, and it's not to say that there there hasn't been any development, because maybe he is learning from this. I wonder if Kopech getting called up, do you think that could take a little bit of the pressure off him? I had a feeling he was going to have a decent game last night, and he did. He had a homer and a walk, um, played pretty well in the field. Um, what do you make of Moncada's season so far? And... Um, I guess, do you think Kopech being called up, and even if Eloy gets called up, do you think that it could help Moncada? You know, if Beyond Moncada was like a top 75 prospect when they called him up, uh, I would say, you know, there are signs. You know, the strikeouts are worrisome. You, you, you wish there was more progress, but you see, still see the raw tools. You know, he's still effectively scratching as a, you know, a slightly below average hitter playing in up the middle position that's essentially a league average guy and he's 23 and you know it's only going to be upward from here and you know physically he still has so much upside i get the fact that since he was number one overall in the world as a prospect that you were hoping to see him be more precocious than he is and if you you know really are had your dreams of him being a superstar face of the franchise borderline hall of famer who wipes away all memory of chris sale it's not happening fast enough to give you that that optimism that's going to happen to that level i still think they have an above average starter for years to come down the road but the fact that you know the adjustments that he's making as far as you know giving himself keeping himself alive in at bats and, and developing as a right-handed hitter because it's happening on the more normal gradual level that you would expect from a good prospect maybe in a very good prospect but maybe not you know a, a prodigy uh, i understand some of the disappointment while also thinking you know, you've got an asset here that's you know definitely worth waiting on. Do you think that uh, is going to get called up this year? You know, I've stuck to my guns all year, thinking it's going to be sometime in uh, in August, and uh, you know, I'll go down at the shift expecting that he should be here. You know, they've said all along that it's not about service time, and you know, at this point, I think they they have some proof in the pudding as far as Kopech being here. And, you know, if it is not about their time, I think Eloy is you know, showing he's ready. I haven't been down August, but I, I think he should be here. I'm, I would be less and less surprised to be wrong, but mm. I, I'm going to stick and say, yes, he will be here. All right, last question. you think uh, Rick Conn will find a taker for James Shields? 
I don't know. You know, I really could see him sticking here. I don't think he'd be too bothered by it. You know, I don't think any of his team would be bothered by it. Uh, I'm working on a longer piece on him, so if he could hold off for like I don't know eight <laughs> ten days, I don't think he can because I think you know August 31st is coming up soon. But if he could hold off until I, until I'm finished, I got a few more pieces I got to get. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening, Rick. <laughs> you know, I uh, real quick on Shields, like I, I've you know I've. Sox fans should appreciate what he's done this year. I mean, he hasn't necessarily been this dominant pitcher, but he's reinvented his game. He's been a good teammate, and he's pitched pretty well for the most part. And I'm kind of surprised. I don't know if teams are sort of shell-shocked from that year-and-a-half stretch where he was just getting destroyed out there, and that's all anybody thinks of him. Maybe they haven't been watching close enough this year, but he's been a pretty good pitcher, and he's given them quality starts, and he's going deep in the game. I mean, you find a taker for Luis Avilan, you think somebody would go for James Shields. I mean, it's the same calculus last year with Miguel Gonzalez, where you could right. just go around the league and look at everyone's fifth starter or of all these teams that are vying for a playoff spot and say, Miguel Gonzalez is better than that guy. Miguel Gonzalez is better than that guy. I can do the same thing for Shields right now. I mean, Oakland is, you know, I don't know what kind of magic they're, they're you know, weaving for the rotation to hold up as well as it has. But, you know, I, James Shields could be one of the best five starters on that team. James Shields could be one of the best five starters in Seattle. So I could go around the league and, and, and find some more openings like that. So, it's not. It's an August waiver trade for like a month and a half or a month of the guy. You know, it's not going to be super expensive, and he'd probably make some team better. So yeah, it makes sense that it should happen. So it is a little surprising that it hasn't. Yeah, and he could eat some innings for a team that's in contention for the playoffs. Give your bullpen some rest down the stretch. All that, uh, all those sorts of things. Um, James, anything you like to plug on your uh, on the website? I will say, if anybody hasn't read it already, uh, James went down to Texas and met with the Kopech family earlier in the year, and you just had a great write up. I, I read that. Uh, uh, before yesterday's game, and I think I read it when it first came out, but I, I highly recommend anybody reading that, and uh, it's a really good long-form piece from James on, on Michael Kopech. I like the part when he told his dad that when he was four years old, he's going to be a big leaguer. That was a pretty cool thing to see him yesterday with the family after uh, he talked to us. They were all hugging and, and, and taking pictures and whatnot. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I probably told my dad the same thing, and he'd be like, yeah, okay, you can be anything you want. Right. <laughs> it, it didn't result in an right. insane training program in a uh, pasture in Quezon, Texas, but, right. you know, and that's why I'm not Michael Kopech. Yeah, well, I, anybody uh, who hasn't read it, you should read it. James is doing great work for The Athletic. Uh, follow him on Twitter at JRFegan. Uh, appreciate you jumping on, James. Thanks a bunch, and uh, I'll see you at the park soon. All right, thanks for having me. All right, man. Thanks to James Fegan. Be sure to read his stuff at theathletic.com, and I recommend subscribing to their uh, website as well. Great stuff happening at The Athletic. Up next, Cubs Talk, Tony Andraki, NBC Sports Chicago. Tony Andraki from NBC Sports Chicago now joins the podcast. Tony, I think you're the front runner, and the amount of times you've been on this podcast, huge honor for you. How do you feel about that? Uh, great, yeah. I uh, can't complain. It's nice. It's a good honor. It's like equivalent to a Hall of Fame, I'd say. Yeah, put it on your resume. It won't help you with anything, but I think <laughs> you should at least throw it on there. Uh, the Cubs schedule for 2019 just released. I figured we'd take the next hour and go uh, game-by-game prediction. You okay with that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the schedule, things are getting tight. Uh, I I will admit that I pretty much had written off the Cardinals though just about a month or so ago, and I didn't think the Brewers really had a chance in catching the Cubs. And I don't know if either one of them is necessarily going to catch the Cubs, but they're certainly making it interesting. And 
Tony, I think you and I had this conversation at the beginning of the year, how important it was for the Cubs to pull away in the division so they can go into the postseason rested, just like they did in 2016, rather than having a, a taxed bullpen or a taxed pitching staff in general. Things are getting a little tight here. Yeah, they definitely are. It's, you know, obviously the Darvish news coming out, so they can't count on him at all. And, you know, the fact that, like, they really need Chris Bryant back. Uh, The offense is proof of that, clearly. Um, But it's just, they also, you know what, they also could obviously use Brandon Morrow back as well. And, you know, they were hoping that Drew Smiley, that we might be thinking that he could be a week or so off at this time, but he hasn't even gone on on a minor league rehab assignment yet. So there's not great news on on the health front from the Cubs' perspective, but a guy like Daniel Murphy should help breathe life into this lineup. Yeah, we'll get to Murphy in a second, but I haven't seen any or heard any moral updates. Have you? Do we know where he's at? He threw a bullpen over the weekend in Pittsburgh. I believe it was Saturday, and it was only like 25 pitches, but he has to build up to you know throwing two to three more bullpens and then go on a minor league rehab stint you know, where, he'll, where, where he will throw you know two, three games or something before coming back. So best-case scenario is probably like you know September 7th to 10th, 10th range, and it's possible even after that at this rate. Right. Um, okay. Well, speaking of Daniel Murphy, as I talked to you here on uh, August 22nd, the Cubs are currently on a streak of five straight games where their only run has come on a solo homer. Five straight one run games for the Cubs, all on solo homers. What's not working for them at the plate? Pretty much everything. I mean, they're they're not having good at bats. They're expanding the zone far too much. Uh, and you know, when they are getting their pitch, like uh, in Tuesday night's game in Detroit, I thought this was a kind of a perfect microcosm of the Cubs' offense. Schwarber was up with a runner on base, and he worked the count to three one. Then got a fastball cookie right down the middle, and he fouled it back. And, and it's that's just what's happening when they're getting good pitches. They end up fouling it back. They're not doing damage with them, or if they are, it's just that one pitch again with the solo homer so and then you know Schwarber ended up striking out in the at-bat and the Cubs obviously don't score that inning so I, I think it's just it's so much of that um, and you know what they've they haven't been lucky either but it's not like they're hitting the ball with 112 you know mile an hour exit velocity every time up either so it, it's just been kind of a, a failure in all facets at the moment yeah it's been feast or famine it's they're scoring one or two runs and you know if you look at their overall run production and offensive numbers they're they're all pretty good but it's been Want one end of the spectrum by a game by game basis. It's it's one or two runs, or they they burst out for ten or eleven runs. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, really, since the the All Star break, it's not been ten or eleven runs. They have not mm-hmm. had those lopsided victories, and actually, in reality, they've had lopsided losses. You know, they've had some seven nothing, nine nothing, even that eighteen to five loss against the Cardinals too. So. It's been a really, really tough stretch for the offense for about a month now, and obviously it's kind of come to a head in these last five, six games here. Well, I love the Daniel Murphy trade. I don't know why anybody wouldn't love this trade. You basically gave up nothing for a guy that's a 300 hitter. He gets on base, and he's got plenty of power at the plate. What's there not to like about this deal? The only thing not to like 
would be the fact that Murphy's 33. He's not. He was never a good defender at second base, um, and he's coming off a knee injury that kept him out for more than half the season already. So his defense is going to be very limited. We saw it when the Nationals came to Wrigley a few weeks ago, and it's just you know obviously he's not going to be a Gold Glove defender. So wherever he plays, you lose a little bit of defense, and that's kind of the one thing the Cubs have hung their hat on this year is that elite defense. That being said, he strikes out way less than anybody on the Cubs right now. He uses the whole field, goes to left field, and uh, you know, just he's just a professional at bat. So it would never hurt to have him, and you know, especially a guy like Zer- top of the order. And then again, obviously, if you get KB back as well, so it, it's a great thing for the Cubs lineup. Not great for their infield defense, but you know they could always bring in Bodie or something in the ninth if they want a defensive replacement. Well, that's why I think this deal works for the Cubs because let's say Daniel Murphy starts at second base and Addison Russell's off the night and and Baez is at short and Bodie's at third. Um, the chances are more than likely, as long as Russell's healthy and just maybe getting a day off and maybe Matt is just playing the offensive matchups early in the game, you're likely not going to see Daniel Murphy in the field from like the seventh inning on because this, this is the luxury that Madden's going to have now. And this, is this gives him even more options, which is... I don't think there's a manager in baseball that has more options in terms of guys that you can plug and play wherever basically you want, where you can get the pop and get three at-bats from Daniel Murphy and then late in the game, throw Addison Russell back at short and move Bias to second. Yeah, we actually already saw that exact formula that you just mentioned in 2015 with Chris Coughlin. He, for a stretch, you know, he would start hit three for the Cubs, play second base, which he was obviously out of position at, and then he would get his two, three at-bats, come out of the game, and starting Castro would replace him in that sense. So I think that's very similar to what the Cubs could do. I think Murphy actually may even be the leadoff hitter against right-handed pitchers, especially you know moving forward because the Cubs don't have a great option there. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, especially Addison Russell is the guy that's impacted most because – He's just not hitting, so as elite as he is defensively, they need a guy like Murphy in the lineup more than ever right now. And then Russell, unless he starts, you know, really heating up at the plate, he's basically a defensive replacement on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just like the deal all around. I just think it gives them a lot of options, and it gives them mostly what they re- need right now with Chris Bryant out, and that's hitting. So I, I like the deal all around. Um, okay, let's get to you, Darvish. Cub fans not very happy with you, Tony, to say the least. Yeah, they, they're not. Um, and, I mean, obviously some of it's unfair. Some of it is fair. I guess it just depends on what their criticism actually is. But, you know, at the end of the day, he'll go down his first year with the Cubs in 2018. He will have made about $500,000 for every inning pitched. And that's just rough. How do I get it, one of those jobs, Tony? Dude, I'm I'm trying to figure out too. So if I let Damn you know, it. or if I find out, I'll let you know. Um, but yeah, it's just been just a miserable, miserable you know last calendar year for Darvish, um, including the World Series kind of meltdown with the Dodgers too. So doesn't help. Jake Arrieta's having a real nice year out east and with Philly. No, it's not. And I mean, that's exactly what the Cubs would need right now is a guy like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's. That steady Arietta would be perfect for the Cubs right now. Like that steady veteran arm to go with Lester off the top. I mean, that would be kind of a perfect situation where that whole rotation's had some fluctuations. And Arietta, for the most part, has been a pretty steady rock in that Philly rotation. 
Yeah, and he's also a guy that still gets a decent amount of swings and misses, even though he's kind of changed. He's not that 2015 version of Arietta we see anymore. But, yeah, I mean, he gets swing and misses, which is the issue with the Cubs rotation right now. And he's a guy that, I mean, every single time that he takes the ball, you know that he could give you seven or eight shutout innings. And that's just – you can't really say the same for most of the guys on the Cubs at the moment. Obviously, Cole Hamels. But beyond that, it's difficult. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of frustration uh, frustrations with the the Cubs fan base. And look, we can continue to say they're in first place; they have the best record in the National League. Their their record in the American League would be, I think, like the sixth best. To put that into perspective, how much better the AL is, in my opinion. Um, oh yeah, but the. I just feel like there's a lot of frustration for Cub fans, despite them being in first place, despite them having the best NL record. And I'm, I've sort of kind of like been trying to figure out, and I, I think it's because one, it feels like we still haven't seen the Cubs play their best baseball for a long period of time. And I don't, I think Darvish has a lot to do with that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Darvish getting hurt obviously had to move Montgomery into the rotation. Even though he's been good there, it's left a a lack of a lefty presence in the bullpen. You know, Justin Wilson's had his walk issues. You know, Rosario, Dunsing, De La Rosa have had their ups and downs too. So I I think it's just kind of filtered down through the rest of the team, Darvish's absence. But, you know, like you said too, they've been saying all year that they haven't had one of those runs that they have typically gone on the last three seasons, 15, 16, 17. But, I, you know, at this point, I don't know if we're going to see it. You know, injuries have been a huge reason behind that. But they also, you know, they don't have the hangover they did last year. And they're not coming out of the gate, you know, blazing with uh, with eight runs a game or something for a two-week stretch. So it, they haven't put it all together. And if they do, they could run away with this division still. But at this point, it's tough to bet on that. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons, too, just, uh, you know, a short few weeks ago, I was sort of shrugging off the Brewers and Cardinals is because, we saw the Cubs really not play their best baseball in the first half, and they were in first place. They had a pretty big division lead and all those sorts of things. But then you look back at Joe Madden's record post-All-Star break with the Cubs, and there's no other team even close. They dominate in the second half of of the season. Right now, I think they're one or two games above 500 since the All-Star break. So that's kind of surprising to me. I thought this is kind of when they were going to tick, uh, kick it into high gears. Um, that was a little surprising. So things have definitely got a lot more interesting here. And they still got a lot. They got a tough stretch where they go east. They play, I believe, a makeup game with Atlanta, then Philly. Um, and they still got some games with St. Louis and Milwaukee. It's going to be an interesting final month. And I don't think the Cubs wanted that at all. I think... I think that they have enough talent where they probably could have ran away with this division. They're just been underperforming for much of the year, it feels like. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And this is a really tough stretch. I mean, they just began the 23 games in 23 days stretch with a loss in Detroit to a rebuilding team and a pitching staff that is down on its luck all year. And They score one run. So it has been very difficult. And you're right, they're only one game over 500 since the break. And their their run differential is also negative 30 one, I think, is what it is right now. So, I mean, it, it's at this point where it's like you look at that and it's clearly not a championship team for a month running now. Um, 
but they do have the talent. And if they do start getting healthy in terms of Chris Bryant and Brandon Morrow, at least that would help. But I mean, those guys are probably still, you know, two weeks off at the very least. So the guys that are here have to perform. And that's really, you know, it falls as much as anybody on Wilson Contreras and, you know, everything else. And this is kind of what the offense is when Javi Baez isn't having the MVP-type impact that he had for the whole first half. And now, you know, they're, they're barely scoring one run a game. Yeah, you look at it. The Cubs got to do work in these next seven games, their homestand coming up, because you have the Reds and the Mets. You, you got to take you, – you got to play really well in that stretch, because then after that, you're at Atlanta for a makeup game. Then you're at Philly for a series. Then you're at Milwaukee, and then you're at Washington, who basically just put up the white flag, and then you're back home, but it's against Milwaukee. This is a tough two-week stretch here that could really kind of reshape where the landscape of the division and the landscape of a lot of teams that are fighting for the playoffs, like the Phillies, Atlanta, Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, I don't think Washington, despite being out of it, is going to go down without a fight. I mean, anytime the Cubs and Nationals get together over the past two years, it's been really exciting baseball. And then you got you come home and you got Milwaukee, you've got a stretch with uh, Arizona, and then you've got that White Sox series late in September. And I don't think the Cubs even want to deal with that because those are one of those weird rivalry games. Who knows? What if it's Eloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech that you're facing? Like, I, I don't think um, yeah. I don't think they want to see that. And then you finish with Pittsburgh and Cardinals. This is not an easy stretch to finish the season for the Cubs. No, I mean, you're right. This is the only easy stretch, quote-unquote easy stretch right now. And, they got to you know, make ground here. About- Exactly. And and the Reds, you know, they've actually been, uh, I think they're like two or three games over 500 as a team since June 1st. So, I mean, they're they're like right up there with the and Cubs. And they've played they have, the Cubs tough like, all year, too. Oh, yeah, they really have. And they've actually been a better team than the Brewers record-wise for about three months running now. So wow. it's just, it, it really is a tough stretch. And the Cubs, I mean, the last few years have, every time they've gone to New York as well to play the Mets, things haven't gone well. So it, they have to figure something out quick. But maybe this all is the sense of urgency that they need. It's kind of lighting a fire under them. You mentioned Javi Baez's MVP-like season. Who's got your vote? If you had a vote for the MVP in the National League, who, who would you go with? I think at this rate, I would have to go with Matt Carpenter. Um, I mean, he and Freddie Freeman are up there, obviously, Nolan Arenado, too. But what Carpenter has done, I mean, he's gotten the the Cardinals back in the playoff race almost single-handedly. They fired their manager. They've been without their ace, uh, Carlos Martinez, for a time. Obviously, Dexter Fowler's hurt. Tommy Pham's traded away. You know, all these different things. And and Matt Carpenter's been the guy that's carrying the load. So, at the moment, I would say him. Um, There is still a month of play, so we'll see. But Javi's, you know, two, three-week stretch, and really since the All-Star break, he's cooled off so much that I don't even know if he's a top three candidate, maybe not even top five right now. He's Tony Andracki. Read his stuff at NBCSportsChicago.com, at Tony Andracki 23 on Twitter. Tony, appreciate you jumping on, man. I'm sure I'll see you at the uh, ballpark soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Tony. Thank you to Tony Andracki. Always appreciate him coming on. Thanks to James Fegan from The Athletic and to Ernie Scatton with the uh, production guy here at WGN who does a lot of the production work here, including for this podcast. So thank you to Ernie and James Fegan and Tony Andraki. Really enjoyed this episode. A ton of fun. And please subscribe, review, and rate on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at kpowell 720 And have a great day, everybody.